order. All right. Uh, some of you may have briefly or more than briefly considered going to another class today when you saw this handout. Like, hey, eight pages, man. Am I getting college credit for this? Um, no. No, you're not. Um, but um, I, I just decided this week, uh, rather than fuss over so what did. to keep in my version of my notes and what to give you, I just gave you my notes, essentially. So uh, we won't read every word, but perhaps there's something that you would want to refer back to. That would, of course, be deeply flattering. Uh, we'll jump in there at the very front, page one, the top, the class description. We've reviewed this each week. Um, but again, I would remind you and ask you as you have opportunities to live out your faith and to think about the, the things we've been discussing. Um, be hesitant to assign bad motives to other people, uh, knowing that you wouldn't want them to assign those motives to you. Um, that we would assume uh, knowledge, we would assume sincerity. However, even with that, we want to acknowledge that the truth does not substitute for sincerity. And so we always want to know and seek the truth. And then um, my recommendation and my experience has been that it's really helpful when you engage with others who believe differently to seek first to understand, then to persuade, right? Listen and then talk. Um, so that those are the principles we're, we've been kind of basing our work together. And then uh, I list out the previous lessons in the class and those bullet points. Um, today's topic is the church and her continuing ministry. Um, again, our, our whole goal was we first worked to establish what is the nature of the church or what is the nature of the community of the saved or what is the nature of the people whom God chooses. Those are all three different ways of saying the same thing. And then from there, we've worked out several topics um, ranging from the Holy Spirit to Jesus' atonement to what faith means, uh, how the human response of baptism. And then last week we talked about worship and uh, it's in misinterpretations and um, based those off God's nature and what he does in his church. Today we turn to uh, church ministry and organization, right? The structure of the local congregation. And so the very bottom there in bold I write, today's classical, you're, you're going to know right from the beginning, this is what I hope we leave with. We will explain how the earthly ministries of Jesus, namely teaching, preaching, and healing, continue in the work of the church and the organization of its leadership. So that's our goal today. You turn to page two. Okay. So I'm going to be super clear. We're going to talk about three things today. Um, number one, section one, we're going to talk about the earthly ministries of Jesus, teaching, preaching, and healing. And then we're going to talk about the work of the church, um, evangelism, edification, and service. And then finally, we're going to talk about the organization and leadership of the church, elders, evangelists, and deacons. And my hope is to see that there's a pattern there to show you how those are connected so that you see again, our work here locally, some 2,000 years later, is an extension of Jesus' ministry there in Galilee. So, that's Roman number one on page two is... The redemptive work of Jesus is the source of the church and our ministry. Okay. It's important to acknowledge, of course, that Jesus' death um, is a work that the church cannot continue. We don't convey that. We don't, we, don't, we're not, we don't convey any of the blessings of that. That is all God through Jesus. But Jesus' redemptive work, her Ferguson calls it, we seek to seek, we exist to seek and save the lost. We can continue that ministry. And um, the Gospel of Matthew 
particularly relies on this threefold. Um, I don't formula can have a negative connotation, but I, I think it's okay for us to use this threefold um, description of Jesus' ministry: teaching, preaching, and healing. And I think it's good for us to read from Matthew four and Matthew nine. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 9.35 Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And then, if you'd like to go look at Matthew 11, 1 through 6, uh, those three words aren't specifically used, at least not in the English that I could see, but it's very clearly identified that threefold description of Jesus' work on earth. And then I have two starred points here um, that I think are relevant for us, and then one of them I just like how he said it. The, um, when you are, when we are new creations in Christ, that results in doing good works. The same works with which Jesus was concerned. If, if you want to know, if, if you're talking to somebody considering becoming a Christian, considering being a disciple of Jesus, and they say, what do I do next? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting baptized. I'm thinking about that final step. What will I do then? You'll say, the same thing Jesus did. Right? Teach, preach, and heal. Of course, we'll elaborate what that means for us. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Again, I mentioned to y'all that the, the author, Ferguson, that I'm basing this, this uh, class on, sometimes he just says something that I've got to repeat uh, word for word. And he said this, When the church fails to do the work of Christ, it becomes the corpse instead of the body of Christ. Okay, that was a good Yeah, I just really like that. I, I, I could not, in good conscience, pretend that I came up with that. <laughs> if you know me, you'd be like, David, that doesn't really sound like you. I don't know. So... Um, so, then, Roman number five, this is crucial here. Matthew's threefold description of Jesus' ministry corresponds to what we do as the church, which is then, of course, reflected in how the church is organized locally. But this is, an, this is a point I could hear Ron and Sam and David and Ricky telling me um, as I prepared. Jesus gave all these tasks to all of his followers, right? Not just the elders, not just, you know, Jack and Tracy and Tanner. Uh, not just uh, all you great deacons. He gave all these tasks to all of his followers, but some, of course, will assume leadership in these tasks. So then I have uh, you know, one of my famous tables here, one of my famous charts, uh, at least famous to myself. If I lose you today in these eight pages, you just come back to this chart. This is th- I could stop right now and just say, talk amongst yourselves. <clears throat> you know, Heather, Heather kind of tried to convince me to do that. Um, no, I'm she didn't um, but this is it if I lose you I mean that Like this is the table this is the whole point of today's uh, lesson is that Jesus ministry is the source and the pattern for then the continuing ministry and organization of the church even today right? and you can see how they're aligned um, Jesus teaching uh, means that the church edifies each other that's a word for building up right? you hear the word edifice which is the word for a building and then who does that work? Pastors, which we could alternately call shepherds, elders, bishops, um, presbyters, right? I, I like the sound of that. Uh, Presbyter Ron has a good, a good ring to it, right? I'm, I'm being yeah, I am older. <laughs> it does literally, and elder does mean, does mean older. Um, preaching is then the work of the church is evangelism. And who does that? Evangelists. We also call those preachers or um, ministers. What's interesting about the word ministry 
is that, or minister, is that it can refer to all of these roles. Uh, it's a very general word in the New Testament. And then healing, um, we now carry out in benevolence or service, since we can't do miraculous works of healing. And then um, deacons lead the church in those activities, but of course we all we can all serve. Okay. And so uh, two reflection questions for you here, and I, I think we have time uh, before we continue talking about the work of the church for, to hear your thoughts. Um, describing Jesus' earthly ministries as teaching, preaching, and healing, how does that inform or impact the way you approach your own ministry, your own work in the church? Maybe take advantage of the situation you find yourself in. It can be something that comes up, but uh, somebody asks a question of you and or raises a, a, an issue where you can uh, teach a lesson, if you will, on biblical doctrine. So it's uh, Jesus took advantages of the situations, and his followers are always asking him questions. He would respond. So yeah. it's about the same way. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate that you brought in the definition of teaching. That those moments when people ask you questions and have conversations, however simple or brief, or however long and elaborate, that's you continuing the ministry of Jesus. Thank you, Ron. Others? In the same vein, I, I, I was thinking about something that happened to me, and I've, I've probably shared this before, but I worked at Barnes and Private Funeral Home, and a lot of the, the funeral directors are not, I mean, they're religious people, I guess, but they don't express in a certain uh, Baptist or Church of Christ or Catholic or whatever. Uh, and they, uh, two or three of them have asked me, well, why don't you all use music in your services? You know, instrumental music. And I've gotten an opportunity to just kind of <coughs> talk about that with him. It's just kind of neat. Thank you, Ron. That's wrong. Oh, wait, excuse me, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I did. I guess. Those senior moments get worse. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm a presbyter now. All right. <laughs> As long as I don't call you late for dinner, we're good. Yeah. Yes, is that uh, David Quinn? Go ahead. I guess, uh, and this, just to tell you what, what level I'm at, I, I think of myself, uh, as I was thinking of this, I almost feel like I'm a cherry picker a little bit, mm. where I don't feel like I'm confident enough to go and just go and uh, walk right up to uh, somebody and just uh, bring, bring it up to, uh, to them about. Hey, where? Uh, hey, uh, how? Uh, where? Where do you go to church or whatever? It, I let it come up. Now, if it comes up, I'll I'll ask or whatever and interject. But, but but I you know it's like I'm always kind of uh, kind of keeping my ears open for things that something to come up and look for an opportunity to uh, to to you know interject uh, something either. Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a, a little uh, a Bible verse that I can think of that might that, that it might apply to their uh, to their situation or something like that, but or or whatever it might be, some level of encouragement 
but uh, but I I kind of feel like I'm not a, a I'm not I don't feel like I'm a real go getter in that area yet right now. Thank you for for that honest response. Um, I'll, I'll speak for myself only. I I'm right there with you, buddy. I'm right there with you, and I think a lot of us. I'm going to make an assumption that a lot of us feel that way, but. Um, I would say that that's part of our growth. I appreciate that you acknowledge that. Like the, the ways you're describing um, looking for an opportunity are, are godly things too. Um, so thank you for that, David. Um, I, w- I would offer this um, in response to the question. Um, I would hesitate to impose this description on all the work and ministry of the church, number one. Like it's just, um, there are other ways to think about and talk about the ministry and organization of the church. This is a crucial one, but you could describe Jesus' ministry in other ways as well. So this is, I don't want to limit the way we think about it. And also, I want to be let you know that these areas overlap. As you all know, sometimes the best way to preach is to provide, a, is to meet a need, right? And sometimes um, the, the best way to meet a need, if, if a person is in deep in sin, is to give them the gospel, right? Um, so uh, they overlap, they, they substitute... Um, for each other, so I, I, I would I would hate for you to take away that, that there's some limitation or, or boundary here when that is certainly not the case. And the numbers, yes, Tracy, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say setting the example. It's not just um, teaching and setting an example with our children and with those around us as well. Um, and every single day in my work across the state, I will as I. My drive time is my prayer time, and I'm always praying that uh, others see Christ in me. And sometimes it's there's all these little simple um, occasions that will come to me later, and I will be well. To be perfectly honest, sometimes there's occasions I'm like, okay, God, I didn't really want this occasion to be, <laughs> didn't want this experience or something of this nature. But nonetheless. I, I, I think back about raising our kids and uh, so many times raising a football team, raising a basketball team in our home. Um, being the example is teaching. It's a part of our teaching, our responsibilities. Such an important reminder. I'm, I'm grateful you said that. That is exactly right. All right, and then um, I, uh, I had to ask a question about the corpse comment, but for the sake of time, we'll move on. But. It's a good one to think about. What, how can we ensure that, you, that the church is doing the work of Christ and not becoming a corpse, as, as Ferguson describes it? Turn to page three. Um, we move to section two. Now, so again, what I've worked, we just spent a few minutes establishing Jesus' ministry, teaching, preaching, healing. I will pause to say, for me, the way I'm going to think about today and talk about today, the distinction between teaching and preaching is this. Preaching is what you talk about and what you do before the person is converted. And teaching is what you do after, right? Like how you continue to nurture and build and grow. That's not exclusive. That's pretty oversimplified. Uh, but I also don't think it's t- worth splitting the hairs of, is the Sermon on the Mount teaching or is it preaching? You know, it doesn't. I don't think it benefits to spend a lot of time talking about that. But that's how I'm, I'm thinking of them. So that's a good segue into the first thing we'll talk about is evangelism, which is the work of, of preaching, which again, I want to be super clear this just gave us a great explanation of how you can preach without saying a word. Um, that's really important. So, um, three really important things to, to note about preaching. Um, Jesus' ministry was characterized by evangelism. He preached the coming kingdom. 
and um, all three, the three synoptic gospels all say some version of this statement as part of what we call the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That verse is about evangelism. Okay? Then the early church carried out that mission after Jesus' ascension. Um, Acts 8.4, for instance, describes how those initial Christians, those who were scattered, went from place to place. Here's the key phrase, proclaiming the word. That's evangelism. Now, again, to David's point and to, to um, Lisa said as well, those who didn't actually engage in evangelism, who didn't preach, who didn't get up and say those words, they still assisted the evangelists. So here is our work if you don't feel like you're, you're doing that preaching, if you're not proclaiming literally. Um, prayer, uh, material help to the evangelist, hospitality, both hosting the evangelist and hosting people who might be evangelized, and then Paul in Philippians 2, 15 and following says, by being lights, uh, by living up to the word you've received, that that is a kind of evangelism. So if you say, man, I can never imagine preaching to somebody or speaking to somebody. Well, here's four things right there that the Bible says you can do, we should be doing, as part of evangelism. Okay. Uh, and then again, couldn't, couldn't resist an opportunity to lay out a chart here. Um, the New Testament included a variety of words to describe evangelism. And I just wanted to show those to you. We won't spend a ton of time looking at each one. Um, but for me, the point of that, this table here is, this is the frequency of evangelism for Christians. Like This is how often they were doing it, because it's reflected in all these ways. Acts 8 alone has one, two, three, four, five different words for evangelism, just in Acts 8. And then the rest of Acts, as the church grew and spread, um, you can see the importance of evangelism, just all the different ways it's described. And I don't want to stray too far from the Bible. I don't want to stray anywhere far from the Bible. But my, um, I don't want to speak for the Bible. I'll just say it this way. This reflects the different ways that we can think about evangelism. Like your scope of evangelism might grow, is what I'm saying. Like what it means to preach, pre preach the gospel. It doesn't mean that pulpit. It certainly doesn't mean some street corner with a bullhorn. Though, again, I, I hesitate to, pro to criticize anybody that's proclaiming the gospel. But... Um, all the ways you can evangelize. I hope your vision of that is emboldened and broadened by this table. So, there you go. And then the last kept comment on the page. In a sense, we might say that the exalted Jesus continues to preach through the proclamation of the church. Um, that's powerful to think that you are continuing the work of Jesus when you speak the gospel. Page four. So the second um, work of the church is edification. As I referenced earlier, the root there is edify, uh, to build up. Edification can also refer to a building itself, right? You heard me say earlier the word edifice, all right? So the idea is that um, after you've committed to Christ, after you're, you've chosen to be his disciple, you've been added to his body, now you have to continue to be built up and, of course, build others up. And that's a natural growth from, out, uh, from evangelism, right? Um, so, a way to think about that is, once you've been converted by the evangelistic work, now you have to be instructed how to live as a member of the church. Jesus did this too. Um, of course, he proclaimed God's kingdom to his people, but Matthew 13, verse 2, and then verses 10 and 11, uh, show Jesus with a small group, 
what, what I call here an inner circle, and he's instructing them about the mysteries of the kingdom. He's telling them, hey, here's some more specific knowledge that you need to know. Okay? And then looking, um, sorry, in letter B, the early church does the same. The spiritual nurturing, the spiritual maturity of converts. Ephesians 4, 2 Peter 1, both describe that building up, that edification. Um, that's what we're doing today, God willing. And then um, letter C is a personal favorite of mine where, uh, and I'm, I'll explain what that means. The New Testament speaks of growth beyond the numbers. And so I list five ways the New Testament records growth in faith, in righteousness, in the knowledge of God, in grace and knowledge, and then broadly speaking, into salvation or into Christ. And so I was just thinking, you know, it's sort of a playful joke, but but there's, I mean this, like, what if our our, uh, our board out here with the contribution, the attendance, um, what if our annual report where we talked about how many baptisms we had, what if it also listed how we grew in faith, right? Of course, the difficulty there is the measure, right? Like, how do you, how do you measure that? I get that. But it would still be, I think, interesting. I'm not suggesting we do this, but I just imagined a scorecard, so to speak, that had, like, righteousness, 72, you know, um, in the knowledge of God, 368, right, or 53%. The joke there is, is the, at the root is a truth, like, it's really important for us to think about different ways that God measures edification, right? Not just the numerical growth, with the, which the New Testament explicitly describes, but, but the growth in other ways. And that's really important, I think, too, especially if you're feeling discouraged or, or, or whatever the case may be. Just especially in your own life, too. Um, you may think, man, I haven't had a Bible study. I've never evangelized. I've never baptized anybody. Um, I'm not teaching a Bible class. I I'm, I'm lack the confidence to do that. That's a, those are all things to work through. Um, and the, and the, those are realities you should address. But I think it would be important here to also acknowledge how you've grown in faith, how you've grown in knowledge, um, how you've grown into Christ. And, and that's powerful, and I hope you're encouraged by that. And then, letter D here, um, I want to make super clear, the responsibility for edification is not the concern of the leadership exclusively. Not just the concern of, of shepherds, and teachers, and uh, named ministers. Every member contributes to growth and edification. So, um, you have a responsibility there. And that's in Ephesians 4.16. I underlined, the whole body grows and builds itself up. So there's the responsibility we all have. Yes, Tracy. The uh, just going back to the previous point there on the uh, the spiritual growth part of it. Mm -hmm. We I hate the boards out front that we have where we put numbers and everything. I, I get I get worried thinking about King David taking a census of Israel. Mm -hmm. Now we're just get so focused on we had this many people and it's you know it's a thing that we have to be aware of obviously, but. But as we go through different efforts of the church, and uh, Jack's going to be talking about some, some things we're going to have coming up later on in this year, um, this just hits the nail on the head as we have had discussions about these different efforts that we're going to do. If, if we don't see our attendance grow by one person, that's, that's not the, the good, that is a great benefit when we see that we have new membership here. But the goal is these other things. It's the spiritual growth. It's us growing in our faith, growing in our service, growing in, in the way we live our lives righteously for God. And so 
I'm just reiterating what you've already said, but we uh, we have to be very, very careful about getting caught up on, on the numbers and how that has, one, filling, filling as if we've been ineffective because our numbers are not where we want them to be, and celebrating the numbers too much when they when they are, the measurable things are increase. Yeah. So. Thank you for saying it, Tracy. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, Joe, go ahead. I think it's not so much that you can measure the faith of everybody in the congregation. It's more like, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, it's like, I implore you or I beseech you that you all speak the same thing and the same judgment. If we're all like-minded, then you know you don't have to measure the faith because just by that alone, we all have the same mindset about what we're doing. And that's that's a good way to tell a congregation is by how they all fit together and everybody has the same mind and judgment on everything. Excellent, Joe. You said that was 1 Corinthians 10? 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. 1 10. Excuse me. Thank you for that. In education, we say it this way. If you're not careful, the measure becomes the target. Mm -hmm. And that produces a harm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to the third um, listed work of the church. Uh, benevolence. If you don't know that word or not familiar with it, uh, we can call it service, um, and that corresponds to Jesus' work of healing. Now again, let's be super clear, in Jesus' ministry, that often, most often took the place of uh, physical healing, um, which uh, we've talked about before in this same class, that that's a, that's a special gift that doesn't continue now, um, though certainly there are ways to address physical needs, and, and we should be doing that. That's the point of this element of ministry. So letter A, I use the phrase charitable work. You might have heard the phrase works of mercy. Um, but the key is Jesus lived those out in his ministry. I give, We mentioned Matthew 11, uh, verse 4 and 5. And then what I really appreciate in number two there is that the gospel is frequently addressing Jesus' motivation for that. And it will specifically describe his feeling of compassion for human need. That's such a beautiful moment. Now, I want to pause here and say, as, as we sometimes talked about last week, the emotion is not a requirement, right? It's okay. You've heard the phrase, fake it till you make it. Like, you do the act, and sometimes the feeling accompanies it. Um, but most important of all is to serve the need. Um, and then, finally, Jesus not only modeled it and, and accompanied those actions with compassion, he commanded it, right? He didn't just model it, he commanded it. Um, he said... Uh, when you meet human needs, um, when you when you fulfill the needs of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the prisoner, he says, judgment will be determined by your response to those situations. Um, and moreover, this is the most compelling part. He says, I am in those needy people. Like when you serve them, you serve me. That is not a metaphor. That is, that is not something you know. Um, real technical term here, woo-woo, that is literal, like he is in that person, okay? I got a Denise laugh today, it's a good, good day. Um, so, then it's no accident, and number four here, then the church, the early church, led by the people who had seen and observed Jesus and heard him firsthand, they responded to physical needs reflected in Acts 4, 34, and Acts 11, 29 through 30. And then, after Acts, throughout the New Testament, the, the Christian life is described as doing benevolence, right? It's practical assistance. 
um, according to John, that's how you show love. Like, if you want to prove to me you love someone, you do something for them. Um, turning to page 5. Now, Galatians 6.10 has a, a verse that, that um, I've unfortunately been in some congregations that I felt like, I don't want to be super critical here, but they just, Galatians 6 verse 10 maybe was in big font in their Bible. Um, the, the New Testament's clear, the priority goes to Christians, right? The resources are limited. We help our brothers and sisters, but we also are obligated. There is a clear command and directive to extend loving service to non-Christians as well. And that's listed in at least three places here, but of course, we could spend all the rest of the time listing New Testament passages that command service. Okay, so again, uh, moving now to Roman uh, letter or four, Roman numeral four. As we finish um, this section, I, I'm just list out the limitations of this this threefold description. I already mentioned them earlier, so I won't review them. But I just want to be honest about how this threefold description is not the exclusive way we can describe the work of Jesus. And the work of the church. Uh, there are some limitations to it. So I have some questions here. I think we have um, probably just a little bit of time. So that's what I'll do. I'll, you look at the questions. You can read them. If there's one you want to answer, raise your hand. I ask about um, balancing evangelism with edification. Um, I ask about service that is both benevolent and evangelistic. And then I ask about individual roles in those three things. So... Yes, David. Uh, you may have already said this, but uh, keep in mind that Jesus had one mission, to seek and save the lost. And three things he did with that one mission was preach, teach, and heal. So none of these are an end within themselves. We help somebody, but we're hoping that we can help them also go to heaven. So sometimes, I fear sometimes we, we, we do a good deed and they say, thank you, and we go away feeling good, like, I, okay, well, that, that was a good thing. But we're, we're more concerned about their souls. How can we reach their souls? <clears throat> well said, David. That'll put a... Go ahead, Wes. Excellent. Thank you, David. We live in a pagan society that has taken away some of this. Our pagan society spends maybe a quarter of our tax base on helping people who don't have, helping the needy. That's what Jesus began. Christianity has shaped the world in that way. Uh, we live in places where every government feels responsible to the needy. That is not a thing from Rome. That is a thing from Christ over the years. At one point, it was noted by a Roman emperor, the church in Antioch is feeding 6,000 widows, and most of them are not even Christians. Why aren't we doing something as a government? The church-led Western, Western culture and taking care of the needy, the primary way that they did that was taking care of widows who had nobody else to take care of them. Not a guy who won't get a job. Not a guy that's been hard on the job and is waiting for his Social Security to come in. But widows and orphans, the two people who had nobody to stand up for them. Uh, the church back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s were known for our children's homes. Mm -hmm. Those were kids who had nobody to take care of them. Uh, the church is part of America's uh, welfare state that takes care of the needy, but specifically Jesus 
uh, said, take care of those who have no one to, to stand up for them. Take care of widows and orphans. Uh, that was that was something known in the second and third century. There was a plague in the late second century in Rome, and everybody who could left and went somewhere else, except Christians. They all stayed there. Quite a few of them died, did not as many as there were people around them, but they were taking people who were thrown out on the street and bringing them into their homes and taking care of them. Yeah. That is taking care of those who can't take care of themselves in a situation, and eventually it won over the Roman Empire. That's a great... Th that last point is the key here. Would it be that our service convicted people who weren't of Christ, right? Would it be that our service changed other people's hearts that didn't even receive the service? That's, that's, a, a, that's a, something to aspire to. Thank you so much, Wes. So, um, section three, now we move into um, some of these questions that, that might come up with your friends. You know, why don't you have a priest? Um, one, that, one of my favorite ones that I've ever got from a gentleman who was grown up Episcopalian, who then converted to Catholicism, he said, I, I told him there's no, there's no headquarters, you know, for the Church of Christ. There's no hierarchy, right? He said, where's the money go? You know, it was an honest question. Where's the money go? And I, so, I got to tell him, well, you know. Orphans, children's homes, right? Uh, missionaries in underserved parts of the world. Anyway, um, you might get questions like that. And for me, it is sufficient today with the, with the last few minutes we have to let you know that the organization of the church extends from Jesus' mission, as Brother Roper said, to seek and save the lost. Then we do three things that have that as the end, not ends unto themselves. Um, and then the organization of the church reflects that mission. Okay, we can say it this way. Ministry corresponds to the work, and there are special workers who take the lead in the performance of the works. All right. Um, in Roman number three here on page five, this is important. The designated or recognized workers in the church have a task, a ministry, a service to perform, not a title or a position. We don't have time here, but I literally copied and pasted this passage from Ferguson's book because it was so powerful. Um, I just want to read the last part here. Hebrews has one of the strongest passages about obedience to the leaders in the New Testament, but it still grounds the obedience and the response to work performed. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Why obey them? Because of the office they hold? Because of authority given them? No, but because of the service they perform. They are keeping watch over your souls. You don't get named the office and then assume the duties. Though, of course, there are some things that only elders do, right? Rather, the New Testament is clear. You're doing the work. That gives the, the title, okay? And that's what I respect and appreciate, and that's what reflects Jesus' own work in the kingdom. The, the Lord who said, I came not to be served, but to serve, right? That's important. So, Roman number Roman number. Uh, or Roman number four, I ask this question, who are the natural leaders in the congregation? Those who do the work. <clears throat> the kind of sermon, service, rather, determines the position of leadership. If you have the gift of preaching, again, we talked about how preaching can take on lots of forms. You're an evangelistic leader. If you are, have the gift of teaching, of pastoral care, then you're a leader in edifying people. If you have the gift of meeting needs, then you have leadership in benevolence, and those can all be accomplished a host of ways. Page six here. Um, a lot of the questions come up with uh, 
titles, names, roles, right? Who's a priest? Who's a, who's a reverend? Who's a pastor? And again, I would urge you to think about how the, those are uh, reflected in the fundamental teaching at root, like what service they perform. Ferguson's going to use these terms special functionaries or appointed ministers, okay? Um, and, and that's okay. I think that's what serves us well for today. I'm okay if we don't put if we don't make new business cards for Tracy that say uh, special functionary uh, Tracy. You know, we're not going to do that. Um, but uh, here's what I love about leadership in the church. These folks personify and embody for uh, the rest of us, the members of the whole church, the work that we're supposed to be doing. And our leaders reflect the church's ministry to the world. Like, it's, it's okay that leaders in our congregation are seen as representative by non-Christians, right? Like, it's okay to be known by the leaders. That is a good thing, okay? And then they're role models for us. Um, so I'd like to get to, in the next five minutes, these three roles and, or leaders and how they reflect Jesus' ministry. So leadership for edification, right, for building up an elder, a shepherd, or a teacher. Um, teacher does not have to be Bible class. It can be one-on-one or a host of other forms. So I spent some time establishing that Jesus was a teacher. In fact, even called the chief shepherd or the great shepherd. There are three New Testament passages that describe this role. They're the same role, but they have three distinct terms. Um, the same task can have many names. And then I have this chart that lays it out. On the left-hand side, the four Greek words that refer to the role that, that Ron, David, uh, and so on, have served and have served. The second column is how we transliterate that phrase into English. You'll notice the last two, we don't even use in English. They don't have English equivalents. Then the Latin equivalent for the same. And then finally, what that means to us in English. Okay, so those are all terms. They're, just, they're clear in the New Testament. Okay. Then leadership for evangelism is the evangelist. The term we often use is preacher. Um, you can think of, it's helpful to think of like Tanner's role as He's an evangelist to the young people. And those of you who've spent time around teenagers know it's good that they have their own evangelist. That they have special needs that uh, we can attend to, right? Uh, what, what crazy percentage of Christians do so before the age of 18 is something incredibly significant. So that role is super important. Um, the noun evangelist only occurs three times in the New Testament. However, you may remember earlier I printed that chart that had all of the times the verb is used. So it's still super significant. And then if you go to page 7, I list uh, the, the three times that evangelist is used. Okay, And Roman numeral 2 there, the word evangelist means one who preaches the gospel. Um, and, and that happens in several ways. Letter A, winning new converts, as seen in the life and work of Philip. Organizing or planting, that's a word we use, I don't see it in the New Testament, but organizing or planting new churches that happened with Titus in Crete. And then um, evangelists even strengthen the faith of those already converted. That's appropriate. And they refute false teaching. Titus and Timothy did that as well. Um, Titus, it says, taught, was, was exhorted by um, Paul to teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. And then finally, letter E, evangelists trained others to carry on this task. So letters A through the E there list all the things evangelists can do that take on their role. Okay? And then the third way the church uh, structure or organizational role is leadership for service as seen in deacons. And again, Jesus himself says, my work is not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Okay? And the church continues that spiritual and physical healing for people. 
um, where it's represented especially by deacons. Roman uh, number three there under deacons is really interesting because it just shows you all the ways the word that we translate deacon was used in the New Testament. Many different people performing many different services, but not all of these are the specific way we think about deacon. But the New Testament uses this diaconus word so many different ways. Okay, Even in letter G, for people outside the church completely, um, civil magistrates, magistrates, diaconus is even used to refer to a messenger of Satan in 2 Corinthians, and the waiters at the uh, wedding in Cana. Right? But the key is Philippians 1.1, if you want to see the way it's used to describe the special function of deacon in the New Testament church, that's where it is, Philippians 1.1. Okay? Um, the key is this. All the ways deacon is used, the key is what's the kind of service, who's it directed towards, right? And deacons in the church have a very particular kind of service directed to very, in very particular ways. Okay? Uh, if you want to turn to page 8, I want to make sure I get to the conclusion. The key here is deacons continue the serving ministry of Jesus. The key passage is 1 Timothy 3, where it has qualifications of deacons too. Um, but uh, that's, that's the key. So again, going back to the chart that we started with, the organization of the church is rooted in the ministry of Jesus and the purpose, as Brother Roper reminded us, of Jesus. Okay, and I ask a couple questions there. So I want to read the conclusion out loud. By connecting matters of organization and ministry to Christ and His earthly work, we have attempted to give priority to the Spirit and at the same time show a unity of spirit and form. Just a fancy way of saying the form, the way, the way we're organized matches what we were commanded to do. The nature of the church expresses itself in certain ministries. We've listed three of them. They're not optional. They're not random. The church has essential functions. These functions or ministries carry out the work of Jesus. All ministry derives from Jesus. Thank you all for today. Great class. Appreciate you all so much.